Romans chapter 3. I'm going to look at three scriptures real quick. I'm going to talk to you about, uh, it's a two-part message. We're going through the book of Romans, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, coming back from camp, my mind is all over the place. Uh, I don't think I'll do justice to this portion of scripture. This is, chapter 6 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible to know, to memorize, to, to, to believe uh, as a Christian. And uh, it helps you because the devil wants ignorance. The devil wants you to feel defeated. The devil wants you to think like you are always and only ever going to be a sinner who never can live up to God's expectations. Well, guess what? He's right. <laughs> but that doesn't have any effect on who you are and what you can do and the victory that God has given you over sin. See, we are failures, aren't we? If we'd be honest, that's what, that's what finally got us ready to get saved was the admission that we're sinners and that we're failures and we can never live up to. We all fall short of the glory and the perfection of God. And now that you're saved, you're still going to fall short, aren't you? So once you understand that, okay, I am a failure, but I, as we learned at camp, I am always going to be follow, falling forward, falling as I follow Christ. And that's what matters. If your life falls apart, there's one thing that you can know and that you can rejoice at, and that it is well with your soul. Amen. And if everything else falls apart, if you're a failure in every area of your life and your soul is saved, oh, praise God. Not that you don't want to be a, you know, a success in certain different things. You ought to have some sort of success in marriage, or some sort of success in raising your children, but you will always be grieved and know I didn't do enough. So uh, I want to talk to you about being free from sin's dominion. Now, when you hear that word dominion, I want you to imagine a despot, a ruler, a tyrant, something that always wins. Uh, now, up until recently, whenever I play Scrabble with my wife, she's the tyrant. She's, she dominates Scrabble. Until recently. I have won twice. <laughs> she would say, you want to play Scrabble? And I go, yeah, do I want to lose again? Yeah, sure, go ahead, let's play. But I won, amen. And it is a great feeling when sin is not dominating you, okay? Not that you dominate me, but I hate losing, okay? So how does a Christian actually live free from sin's control? Romans chapter 3, we're going to start there in verse 23. As you know these verses, but let's lay the groundwork. 3.23. For how many have sinned? All. Remember that. How many in this room have sinned? All. all of us. For all. You may not be sinning right now. I hope you're not. <laughs> but you have sinned. Did you get that? Say it with me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Go to chapter 5 and verse 18. 5, there's one page over maybe in your Bible. Romans 5, 18 says, Say it with me aloud together. Therefore, as by the offense of one, stop there a second, that's Adam. Judgment, keep going, came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, stop, who was that? So one brought trouble in the world. One got us out. Amen. Goes on. Even by the righteousness of one, keep going, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 20, moreover, say it with me, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. All right. So the truth is this. Uh, sin abounds in us. You, you, uh, uh, you may 
you know, uh, right now be going through a good spot of, of really, you're not, you're not on the TikTok, you're not on the phone, you're, 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 your attitude's good, and your words are good, and, and, and you're doing the right thing, amen, but you know, it just takes one thing to set you off, and then everything falls apart, and you're back doing wrong, sin has such an abundance in us, you can't blame your parents, you can't blame your wife, you can't blame your kids, you can't blame your husband, I know you want to, but none of that is the reason why you sin, it's in us, isn't it? It's in us. So sin abounds in us, and aren't you glad God's grace abounds more? There is more grace than my sin. Hallelujah. And God's grace makes it possible to live in victory over sin's dominion. There was a time where sin dominated our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, and our very lives, and yet God made it possible for every believer in this room, in any um, in any body, in any group of Christians, every one of them should be living free from sin. Now, are they all? Not at all. That's why we have church. That's why we don't let church attendance go for two, three, four weeks because sin is a way of creeping back in and deceiving us. God has made it possible for us to no longer be the slave of sin, no longer to continue in any sin. The laws of God exposed our sin, didn't it? Like an x-ray. You may think you're pretty good until we start holding you up to the Bible. We start finding out we are liars. We are thieves. We are lusters. We are sinful. So we needed something more than the laws of God to fix us because the laws don't fix us. The grace of God does. Every believer in this room can live and should live in victory where once pornography ruled, where lust ruled, bitterness, anger, shame, and depression, hurt, and sorrow, covetousness and lying, laziness and greed. They used to win. As, as you were talking about, you'd be around. I wouldn't want to be a teenager today. I mean, I would bodily. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be a teenager because when you look at other teenagers, I can understand why 90% of them want to go jump off a cliff because they feel like failures. They feel like they can't live up to all the, the handsome, the, the knockouts, the dolls, the, the gorgeous people. And you're still there and you got 15 spots. You count them every day on your face. All of that stuff, man. Out of God's great love and kindness, Jesus broke the grip of sin. He broke it. So the question is, are we free to sin now? That's what Paul asks here in chapter 6 and verse 1. Look in 6.1. What shall we say then? Now that we've learned that there's more grace than sin, shall we continue in sin? It sounds like such an extreme, but it is a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, this is kind of uh, kind of curious, since Jesus took care of the eternal consequences of our sins. What's that? What is the eternal consequence of our sin? Not just death, but hell. Okay, now I may die, but I ain't going to hell, amen? Jesus Christ took care of the eternal consequences of our sin. If he did, shall we continue in sin since grace continues as well? Paul answers, look at verse 2, God forbid. In the Hebrew, it's written in Greek. I'm joking with you. It's no way Jose, okay? <laughs> it's never. No, you don't continue living in sin simply because God hasn't killed you yet in your sin. He answers, 
How shall we, look at the last part of verse, verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin, that's our, that's our great truth we're going to focus on, a couple of great truths this morning, how shall we live continually any longer therein? So, um, some of the most important words ever written to the believer is those 12 ver- words in verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, that the truth is God does not free us to sin. He didn't make you free to sin. He made you free from it. And that's the great truth of Christianity. See, modern churchianity, modern religion has now stopped preaching against sin and says, find yourself, be yourself, do whatever you want. We'll all just be happy if we're all just doing our own thing. Can you imagine the chaos that we're in? Can you imagine where we're going to be in five years if this world doesn't have a turnaround? Where is it heading, folks? We're not free to sin. If that's true, then let me drive on the right side of the road now. Let me enter, get your, get, uh, while you're sitting down, let me pull your wallet out. Let me get into your purse and steal your identity. If we are free to sin, then what's to stop me? No, 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 we are not free to sin. So how? Do we get victory over temptations and sinful lifestyles that we're so used to? All right. So this is the first part. Next week, I'll, I'll deal with it more. But I want to start off looking verse chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul's going to expect us to know these following things, to learn them well and believe them with all our heart. Okay? You need to know these things like you know your address. <laughs> if I said, Gleb, what's your address? You shouldn't even have to think about it. You shouldn't pull out your phone and go, oh, let me look it up. (laughs) No, 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 no. You need to know these things like you know your mother. I was about um, four or five years old in a department store at Christmas, and there were about 4,000 other women and kids in that thing. We're walking around. I got turned around. I didn't see my mom. So guess what I did? Mom! And about 15 women turned, looked at me, and I went, Mom! But there was one, and when we locked eyes, I went, I know that's my mom, and I ran to her. You need to know these things like you know your mother. And you need to be able to know them and that you believe them with all your heart. Uh, Because these are spiritual truths that spill over into our life, into the reality and the fabric of our life. These are the things. He says there in verse 3, No, ye not. Don't you know what I'm about to tell you? And he goes on. Uh, I'll just read down. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into, not water, but who? Remember that. There's no baptism in Romans here. As many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Your baptism did nothing for you spiritually. It did something for you maturity-wise, where you're obeying the Lord and you're being a testimony to the world. But the thing you need to be baptized into is what? Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Since he got up, I can get up and I can go forward. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Can't wait for that day. Knowing this, did you see how he says it again? Secondly, knowing this, that our old man, not your dad. How many, how many of you ever heard the old man back home? You know, the old man, the old man. No, the old man is you. 
is what I'm looking at. When I'm now, you women, you're old men too. Not really, no. But that's the old you. It says, knowing this, that our old me is crucified with Jesus, with him, that the body, this body of sin, one day might be what? <laughs> Hallelujah. It's going to be destroyed. Amen. That henceforth, we right now should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, here's that third time he says no. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Know that word dominion. For in that he died, how often has, does he have to die? He died unto sin once. Every time somebody holds up and rings a bell and breaks the, 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 the wafer on a Sunday morning in the, next, in the nearby church, they're claiming to continue a sacrifice that is not to be continued. It is done, amen. He died once. He never dies again. So here we are. We're preaching about an empty cross, aren't we? Jesus is not on the cross, is he? So it says there in that he died, verse 10, he died unto sin once, but that and he liveth, he lives forever unto God. I like that. Okay, let me just move through some of these things. The things you need to learn, need to know with all your heart, number one, is you're dead. <laughs> you are dead to sin. The Bible says we have been, that we, have, we who have been saved are dead towards sin. What does it mean? My connection to sin has been broken. My addiction has been cut. Now, when I used to work for the telephone company, uh, we had a lot of very high-tech equipment that monitored the network of the entire United States. We were a, a long-distance company. And we had huge monitors that showed us where there were problems in the network, where there was what we called congestion. People couldn't make a call. Think they couldn't get connected, so on and so forth. And every once in a while, an entire area of the United States would go red. And then that room would become chaos, and they'd be calling in supervisors and stuff. And some guy with a JCB cut a fiber optic cable, and 100,000 people or maybe 10 million people, their phones went dead. And so then we're trying to figure out how to rewrote phone calls. And it was a lot of fun for about three days while it got fixed. But the point is this. My connection went dead to sin the day I got saved. The line has been cut. I have something new in me that draws me no longer to sin. Yes, sin has a magnet pull to me, but I have a greater pull. His name is Jesus Christ. He's not in the church house. He's in you. And he will fashion and forge and make a better person out of you from the inside. Now, your parents are supposed to do it from the outside. It's called correction. When your parents got upset at you, as we learned at youth camp, it's good. You say, well, I didn't like it. Yeah, but it's pressure. And the point of it is to get you in the middle of the wheel. And all that pressure is to put you so that something beautiful could be made. And so when, when we get in trouble and our parents put the pressure on from the outside and they rebuke us and they correct us and they humble us and all that stuff, that is good. But mommy and daddy's not there all the time, are they? You need Jesus Christ doing it from the inside, don't you? And we are dead to sin. Before, we're either dead towards God, as we learned last week, or we're dead towards sin. 
A lost man or woman is dead towards God. They couldn't care less about the Bible. I mean, I could read it all day long. I could put passion into the reading of the King's English. And it means nothing to nobody. Because if they're not saved, but if you're saved, I could sneeze and hiccup through the whole thing and you'd go, Amen! <laughs> because it's the Word of God and the Son of God who wrote the Word of God is in you. And you would resonate and you'd love it. A Christian is dead towards sin. You know, a real Christian, the friends come along and say, Hey, did you see this? Have you, did you know what we called? We took pictures of so-and-so last night and you go, Not interested. It doesn't interest you like it used to. The line's been cut. You're dead towards it. As a believer, when we get saved, when we place, when we're placed into Jesus Christ, as we're going to talk in a minute, we were crucified with him. Something died. And we did it. It all happened just by the touch of faith. We just cried out like a child saying, save me. There's no special prayer you pray. There's a broken heart that prays. And it saves. And we accepted Christ's life for ours. We believed he saves, and, and it, it just works, folks. And when we, when we believed Jesus, we got everything he offers. See, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, uh, 1 John 5, 11, it says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Either you've got him or you don't. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm on a journey, Brother Ledbetter. You're on a journey to hell. Switch trains, amen? <laughs> yes. My train has taken me all the way to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. So everything that Jesus went through, again, I'm reviewing, uh, is applied to us now. His death worked for me. His burial, I died and was buried. And his resurrection whew, gave me new life, man. Now, according to God, what does he say? You're dead now. Your old sinful Adamic nature died when you by faith trusted Jesus Christ. And the old you, according to God, is dead and buried. I'll show you a graph here, and a picture of this in just a moment. That's why we can walk in victory. It's why we walk not like we used to be because the old me is gone. Now watch this. Please work. Okay, so we are in Christ. Second point, 6-3. Look at those words. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized. Baptized means immersed. That's all it means. Not sprinkled but placed into Jesus Christ. Now, you know what they do when they launch somebody up to the space station? They put them into a rocket, all right? They, can you imagine if they just flung the guys? Here's an astronaut. <laughs> Try to get them up to the... No, you got to put them into something that can carry them all the way. And I was put into Jesus Christ. And since he's able to go here to heaven back, whatever, he'll take me all the way home. I am in Jesus Christ. I know I physically live in Balancholic, Ireland, but where am I spiritually? Yeah, somebody's listening. Where does God see me? Some of you are, are only getting as far as getting into church. You'll go to hell. You can go to the best church in the world, and I think we're in it. You can have the best preaching. You can have the best singing. You can have the best Bible and still go to hell because getting into church doesn't get you into heaven. You've got to get into Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, don't go there. It says, if any man be in Christ, then you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. They're dead. Behold, all things are become new. Isn't that awesome? John 14, 20 says, at that day in the resurrection, when he rose from the dead, he says, one of these days, ye shall know that I am in my Father. This is Jesus talking. 
and ye in me, and I in you. That's in Christ, Christ in me. That's amazing. I am in Christ. That means I am no longer in sin. Let me just go to Ephesians chapter 2. You'll, you'll come back to Romans in a moment. It'll be Ephesians chapter 2, to the right. Hmm. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That's just an old word. Just means made alive, resurrected. And you, and, and, and physically, you're still the same you. But some inside of you was born again, was made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and your sins. When in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. You did what everybody else was doing according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had... We, ha we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh. That's how we lived. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. You didn't do the will of God. You did your own will. And of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But I love the next two words. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. Amen. Folks, isn't it awesome? We're in Christ now. We're no longer in sin. We use this phrase when we talk about um, someone's in business. I'm in business with so-and-so. Or somebody else says, oh, he's in sports. He's really in sports. Well, a Christian's in Christ. That's our place, man. That's where we are and that's who we are. You know what that means? We're no longer in trouble with God. We are hidden in Christ, surrounded by Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. <laughs> Not because I'm Jesus, because Jesus is all around me. He is what God sees, and he says, I'm, I'm well pleased. You know, when God, when God sees me as for who I am, he sees a mess. But Jesus came as my mediator. He came between me and God. And God has to look through his son to see me. And as far as he's concerned, looks pretty good to me, God says. We are in Christ. Third thing you better know, we're living a resurrected life. Look back there in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. I don't know if you realize it, but when a person's dead, it's pretty well done, amen? We bury that body, don't we? We don't keep it around. But what if somebody is in the casket, and it's happened. <laughs> and they're saying their respects and people are passing by. And then that guy wakes up. He's died maybe of cancer or maybe died of a heart attack, maybe died for any number of things. And if he got a second chance at life, how do you think he'd live? You'd hope he'd live different. I mean, if he smoked 10 packs a day before he died of emphysema and he got resurrected do you think he'd still be smoking 10 packs wouldn't you think at least wouldn't you hope that he go i've got a second chance well that's us look at your bible 6 verse 4 therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death that like as christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father i wish i had been there i wish i had been there when jesus walked out of that tomb without the stone being rolled away and he came out of that stone. I wish I had been there. The glory of that beautiful moment 
And then as he walked away and he went to the side waiting for the disciples to come find it empty, amen. And it says he was raised by the glory of the Father. Even so, in that same way, we also should walk in what kind of a life? All right. So if I asked you, Gleb, what were you like five years ago, whenever you, before you got saved, uh, you know, bratty. You know what bratty means, don't you? No. Spoiled. <clears throat> uh, uh, proud. I don't know. I could be, I'm not going to be rude to him. Actually, I am. No, no. <laughs> List all the things. Is that how, now that you're saved, should you continue to live that same way? You should live like you got a whole new life. That's called the resurrected life. Whether you realize it or not, a part of me was resurrected. It's my spirit. I wish it was my body. <laughs> coming after yesterday, man, I'm kind of a zombie. Right, after Friday coming home and I'm walking around, Nita says, how are you? And I said, who are you talking to? Which one of me? The one that's dead? <laughs> or the one that is trying to be alive? A part of me has been resurrected for 43 years, man, and that's my spirit. And I'm no longer going to live like I used to live in my body. Uh, and one of these days, every believer in this room is going to physically be resurrected. But what are you going to do until that day? Live like you already are. Okay? We may have a funeral someday and put you into the ground and weep and miss you and all this stuff and be upset at you for beating us to heaven. But um, don't wait until you leave this planet before you start living heavenly. Live heavenly now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why would you think, and a lot of people do, and maybe in this room, you think eternal life begins when you enter heaven. No, eternal life begins now when you get saved. And you ought to live like you've got a brand new life. Know that you have a new life, so live it. Fourth, your old self, the old you, has been crucified with Jesus. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, now just in your mind, I want you to realize that's your old nature. That's the old Craig Gledbetter. That's, that's the person I was before Jesus took over. And the old man, it says, is crucified with him. Not was, because I'll show you why in just a minute. That the body of sin one day might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Three great truths here. You need to know that your old self is crucified with Jesus. He's dead. He is. He's continuously dead, all right? He's not coming back. Amen? The old you is not coming back and taking over. Imagine how freaky that'd be if the graves kept opening up and they say, dig them again, bury them again. <laughs> wow, man. Buried, the old me needs to be known as gone. The old me needs to be believed and known that they're dead. He's not coming back. He also says that our body's going to be destroyed. Now, some of you may be very disappointed, especially Bill Gates, because he wants to live forever. Uh, right now, it's okay for you to live in your body for a while, but imagine having to live in your body forever. The one you got right now. The one that has aches and pains you didn't know existed. The one that doesn't get out of the bed so quickly now like it used to. The one that, that's, that struggles with, with so many different things. Can you imagine if you had to live in this body forever? One of the great truths that a believer knows is this body's going to be dumped. <laughs> it will be destroyed. Hallelujah. Mm. Um, 
A new body that doesn't age, it doesn't sin, it doesn't hurt, and it lives forever. Bill Gates can eat his heart out. I get it for free. He's spending billions trying to figure out how to make people live longer. I found out how to do it for free. Amen? Amen. Another thing that's great, you need to know this, that dead people are free from sin. Look in verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. This is a very important fact. Do you know dead people don't lie? John, John, now that's a lie. Sean, no, 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 don't take that woman's wallet. <laughs> dead people don't sin, do they? That's why we know there's no sin in heaven. We're free from sin when we die. We never sin again after we die. Dead people don't sin. And those of us who have been saved are like a dead man, according to God. Our old nature has been defeated. It is dead. And that means you can live free from sin's dominance. Not from its effect and not from its pull. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it has no authority over a Christian's life anymore. Another thing you need to learn and need to know, verse 8 says that we will live with Jesus one day. Look in verse 8. Verse 8. Now if we be dead with, with Christ, we believe that we one day shall also live with him. Amen. Uh, I heard about a woman yesterday who uh, she was a nurse for like 10 or 12 years, and her main purpose, uh, her job was to go and do palliative care to people who were dying. And so she, whether the people were at home or in special hospices, she would go there and give them care and medications to ease the pain. And she came home one day and she said to her husband, if I ever have some sort of a terminal disease, shoot me. I don't want to go through what I'm seeing them go through. And she kept telling him, don't let me live. Do not resuscitate. I do not want to go with their going through. If I ever have a terminal disease and they say there's nothing to do, let me die. That's what she said. Well, about 10 years later, she got Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. So she's in the hospital and she's having trouble breathing. And the nurse came up to her and says, we, we can intubate. We can put in a, a pipe and we can help you breathe. And the husband says, she won't want it. And the woman said, I want it. And, the, and the, the husband says, wait, wait, that's not what you told me. <laughs> For the last 10 years, I've heard you say, you want to die. You really want this. She said, I want to live. I want to live. Her 30-something old self did not know how to handle being 50 years old, 40 years old with that disease. But when she had it and she had the chance to live, she wanted to live. Let me tell you, there's something inside of us that wants to live. Let me tell you, no matter how you go out of this world, you better make sure you continue to live. There's something inside of us, even at the point of death, that will say, do something, I want to live a little longer. The Christian can say, no matter what you go through, you will live forever. Amen? Amen. Death doesn't even have dominion over us. You may put this body in the grave, but I won't be there. <laughs> Then I'll be absent from this body. I'll be present with the Lord. You'll be going, oh, Craig, I'm sorry. I'm not in that thing anymore. I'm up there. <laughs> Amen. You got to remember that. That plot of ground, that ash urn everybody's going to, they're all being cremated. Whatever way you want to go out, God will put you back together one day, and you'll either stand before him in judgment or in heaven because that plot of ground is not the end. 
Uh, you know what Job says in chapter 19? He says, I, and Job sitting on an ash heap, he says, I know that my Redeemer, my Savior liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day, way out in the future, upon the earth. He'll be here physically on the earth. And though my, after my skin worms destroy this body, talking about being in the grave, yet in my same flesh I shall see God. So he's saying, I know I'm going to be dead and buried, but when the, my Redeemer comes, I'm going to come back up and I will see him eye to eye. I'll be alive again. Even Job knew it. You know, you need to know that, that uh, because of all that Jesus Christ did, life goes on. Another thing, death is no more dominion over Jesus. Look at this. Look at verse 10. It says, for in that he died... He died unto sin once, but he that liveth, but but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. All right, watch this, watch this. Um, verse verse. Uh, I'm looking. Oh, verse nine. I didn't do verse nine. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, and then he liveth. He liveth unto God. Jesus died unto sin, meaning he died for sin. And he died once, and that was enough. Aren't you glad he's perfect? We did a recording of the uh, Simon song. It had three violins and a guitarist. And it sat there and said it. Normally when you do musical recording, this was at camp, when you do it, you kind of do it and somebody messes up. It just start over. Amen? And I says, guys, let's pray that we get this in one take because we were packing up and getting ready to leave. We prayed, and then they began to play, and we got it in one take. It was awesome. You know, Jesus never had to go back and, and fix something. He did it once, and he did it perfectly. Amen. Hallelujah. You better, you better know that you know that death has no more dominion over him. And if that's true, <laughs> look at verse 14. Romans 6, 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you now. For you're not under the law anymore, but under this thing called grace. These are powerful, eternal facts to remember when you're tempted to sin. They are legally binding facts. It's like in a court of law, somebody stands and brings out evidence, and the judge has to weigh the evidence, not the feelings, not the sincerity, but the evidence. And when, when you know this evidence and you stand before God, you can say, I trust Jesus. And God says, the facts are Jesus did everything perfect, and you're trusting him, you're in. That's it. If you try to bring up your own evidence, oh, Lord, let me show you how many times I prayed. Lord, let me show you how good I was. And the Lord says, bring up the video. <laughs> and starts to show all the stuff that you never knew anybody was watching and never knew anybody knew about. And God says, yeah, that's who you really were. And then he says, depart from me, ye that are cursed into everlasting fire. I never knew you. And you never knew me. And the whole point of this thing is knowing all those truths Put your heart at rest, and when sin comes knocking, when sin starts pulling like a magnet, when sin starts tempting, you can go, I'm dead. I am dead to that sin. I got to remind myself I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead. Now, my body doesn't want to agree. Let me just be real honest with you, and I have to stop. I'm going to stop because the next point is about reckoning, and I need some time to explain the Texan phrase reckoning. But I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to say, when God, take your Bible, go to 1 John, 1 John, all the way to the right. There's some things you need to know. 
1 John chapter 5, and verse 11 says this. 1 John 5, 11. Yeah, this is the record, the written record. We're reading God's written document that God hath given to us. Aren't you glad it's a gift? Eternal life. And this life is in his church. Is that what it says? How come everybody believes that? How come everybody believes that you get life by going to church? I don't understand that. Because the Bible says his, the life is where? In his son. I love verse 12. He that hath the son has life. <laughs> it comes with him. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God. That's us. And he wrote them that ye may circle that next word. What is it? You mean no? Woo! Amen. That ye have. I can't tell you how many Christians say, Well, I hope that I have eternal life. I hope I'm going to heaven. I don't really know if they're Christian or not. You never, people are so confused. But the point being, I have it. You don't wait till you die to find out if you're going to heaven or not. You'd find out now. You can know now that you know that you have eternal life and that you may now just believe on the name of the Son of God. So, What's the point? Let me scoot back here. I'll teach all this next week, so stay tuned. <laughs> Keep going. Get out of here. I got a lot to say. Um, everyone in this room still does wrong. And if you haven't figured that out, then I don't know where you live. <laughs> everyone in this room still sins, still does wrong. You're struggling. Um, and, and that's okay. But because of grace, come on, come back here. God has covered every sin. His grace, see, grace means kindness that you don't deserve. God could have said, you know what? I had a rule, I had a law, and you broke it. Therefore, you're judged, condemned, gone, bye-bye. That's what God could have done. But he didn't do that. And instead of him saying, ah, it doesn't matter. No, no, God's not an unjust judge. Instead of him saying, ah, I'll overlook it this time. No, no, every wrongdoing must be made right. Somebody breaks your window at your house, you want them to pay for it, right? You just don't go, hey, oh, no problem. I kind of want a little air conditioning. <laughs> no, no, that needs to be fixed. The judge of all the universe decided to pay for our sins and fix it himself. That's grace. When the guard will pull you over and you know you're speeding and they look at you and go, I'll give you a warning. That's grace. Amen. And God gives grace. He's covered every one of our sins, and we can live free from its dominion. That's the truth that we'll talk about over this week, next week, and probably the next one. But it's only valid for sinful people who've been born again. My battery's dying here. It's only valid for people who, yeah, I'm a sinner. Say, Pastor, did you ever do wrong? Yeah. Don't look too close. Don't watch me 24 hours 7. I mean, you imagine getting married to some of us. You have to live with a sinner. Some of you women should say amen. Think about it. You get to know the guy as he really is. Guys, you get to know her as he really is. <laughs> well, God knew you already, and he still loved you, and he covered all your sin. Isn't that wonderful? This freedom from the dominion of sin, the grip that sin used to have, I mean, you didn't even think about it. Your friends would call at 1 a.m., and out the window you went. You'd spend all night with them before dawn to get back home. Um, 
friends would say, let's go drink, and you never thought about it. You went right out and did it. Now, when they call, you're like, mm, I, don't, I don't think I should do this. And there's another voice inside of you. Amen. You can walk away from that thing because you've been saved and you are free. And it's only valid for sinful people, those of us who sin, who know these things, they believe them and they yield to them. I'll talk about the reckoning and the yielding next week.